Well, good morning, church. For those of you who haven't met me yet, my name is Derek Joseph. I'm the intern. My wife is Lacey. She's nicer than me, and you should meet her. We've been so thankful to be worshiping with you here the last several months. We thank God for how you love the Word. We thank God for how kind you are. And we thank God for the history of ZF, how he's used this church to bring so many people to a saving knowledge of his son. So praise be to God. But this time is not for listening to me prattle on. It's for the teaching of God's word. So let's get to work. The text for the teaching this morning is Psalm 5. Psalm 5. If you'd like to look at a Bible and you don't have one, there should be Bibles uh, under the seats in front of you. Um, If there's not one directly in front of you, nudge your neighbor and see if they can hand one down to you. Um, And if you see someone looking around awkwardly in front of them, be be nice and hand them a Bible. All right, now, now Psalm 5 teaches us four things to pray together when God's enemies attack. All right, four things to pray together when God's enemies attack. As I read Psalm 5, listen for those four things we're to pray. Now listen to what God's holy, inspired, authoritative, inerrant word says. To the choir master, for the flutes, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your ways straight before me, for there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. This is God's word. Let everyone who has ears to hear, hear what scripture says. All right, I'm going to ask God for help, and then we'll get started. Lord God, you are the source of all justice and real joy. Help us, teach us to pray together. Teach us to exalt in you so that Through Christ, we will experience enjoyment in your presence. And it's because Christ is our sacrifice, because Christ is our temple, because Christ is our king, we pray. Amen. All right, so as I mentioned, Psalm 5 teaches us four things to pray when God's enemies attack. Now, some of you might simply accept that after hearing the text. Some of you might be a little skeptical. 
Some of you might bristle a bit at some of the language that this psalm uses, and some of you might just not care. So, first, let me prove to you that this is what Psalm 5 is about, and then we'll address some of those resistances. Psalm 5 starts this way. To the choir master, for the flutes, a psalm of David. So in other words, David wrote this to be sung in Israel's public worship. This wasn't written for people to read individually, though that's fine. It was written to be sung together under the leadership of Israel's king. And verse 8 says that that king has enemies. Verse 10 says that the enemies of the king are his enemies because they've rebelled against God. So God was teaching Israel to pray, Psalm 5, when his enemies attacked. But, now someone might object, well, this was Israel before Jesus. But we know this is supposed to be used by the church now because passages like Colossians 3 tell the Christian church to sing to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I, I know what you're thinking, and, and psalms there in the original Greek actually literally means psalms, like the psalms in the Bible. So all this to say, Psalm 5 is for use in prayer by the gathered church. And, and that's why we gather on Sunday mornings in part, to pray together. It's why we have small groups to pray together. It's why we have quarterly missions prayer nights. It's literally in the name. It's, it's why husbands are supposed to lead their families in prayer. 1 Timothy 2 tells us that there's nothing more important that we can do together than to pray. Now, that is the application of the teaching this morning, by the way, and I, I realize that a preacher's probably not supposed to put that at, at the beginning, but whatever, you'll be fine. Now, some of you might be uncomfortable with Psalm 5, or you might just not care yet, and I get that. So I'm going to give you some information that really does help my own heart engage with what this psalm says. These are from a monthly prayer guide that a group called Barnabas Aid puts out, and I just want to read these, these stories to you. Miriam and Newish, two Christian nurses in Pakistan were accused in early April of blasphemy by a Muslim colleague. While cleaning a cupboard, one of them had removed a sticker with Quranic verses on it and had given it to the head nurse for safekeeping. It was the head nurse who accused them of desecrating the Quran, for which there is a mandatory sentence of life imprisonment according to the Pakistan Penal Code. An angry mob gathered and one stabbed Miriam with a knife. The two nurses were arrested, and that's the last we know of them. Here's another one. An early morning service had just finished on March 30th in Bennu State, Nigeria, when gunmen entered and inquired where the senior minister could be found. Within seconds, they had shot him dead, along with three in the congregation. They then set fire to houses in the village. And this church has continued to meet despite that happening. And these are just a couple of thousands of instances of things like this that happen all 
the time. This is just the last couple months. And maybe you'd still struggle to pray the things that Psalm 5 says. Let's, let's put it into the whole scope of what the whole Bible says about what reality is. We believe God made everything. Everything you see, touch, smell, taste, everything you think, all the infinitude of things that you don't even know about, God made all things. Everything exists because God wants it to. And we all, in the face of the evidence of God's majesty in creation, we basically don't care about him. We don't thank him for the good things that he gives, which is every good thing we ever experience. We ignore what he says. We don't do what he says. We do what he says not to do. And frankly, most of the time, we kind of treat God like garbage. The Bible word for that is sin. And so, friends, God has enemies. 1 Corinthians 15, however, tells us this that Christ died for the sins of everyone who just believes in him. And so we never will. He was physically raised from the dead. He was seen by people. He was raised into heaven, and he will come again to judge the world. And everyone who knows him will be raised up with him in glory, just like Jesus was, really, Then comes the end when Christ delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power because he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Listen, that's what has happened. That's what will happen. And that is the context for why we should pray Psalm 5 together. Jesus has enemies, and this psalm gives us four ways to pray when they attack. And that will be the outline for the rest of the teaching this morning. Four ways to pray together. And since the whole point of this is to pray this together, we are actually going to end our time by singing Psalm 5 together. Don't worry, I'm not leading the singing. All right, so let's think about the first request out of four, right? The first request, ask God to hear. Ask God to hear. We see this in verses 1 and 2. Listen to what God says. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. Listen to me, God. Do you hear my pain? Do you hear my tears? Do you see and know about all of the anxious thoughts that race through my head that keep me up at night? Stephen was preaching to Israel's leaders. He told them that they had the Bible, but they ignored it. They didn't do what God said to do, and they did the things that God said not to do. And and worse than that, when they were actually face-to-face with the Son of God, they didn't like what he was saying. They got jealous of him, they started to hate him, and they eventually murdered him. Stephen told them that, and they were enraged. They didn't even give Stephen a chance to tell them that Jesus would forgive them if they just asked him to. 
Instead, they grabbed him, dragged him out of the city, and bludgeoned him with rocks until he was dead. And I can hear Stephen and the other believers pushed away by the mob, silently, under their breath, praying, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. When we hear about our sister, Miriam, suffering from a stab wound that's probably infected if she's still alive, sweltering in a Pakistani prison, we should pray, give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. We are to ask God to hear. Now, verses 3 to 7 tell us why we're supposed to ask God to hear. We're, we're supposed to ask God to hear because he's just. We can expect God to hear because he's just, because he's a good judge. And so verse 3 teaches us to pray like this. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Now, your Bible might have a footnote in it that says sacrifice might be actually translated prayer or something. I think the better translation is sacrifice. But regardless, I, I do think a sacrifice is in mind because sacrifices were made in the morning, and a few verses later we have reference to the temple. So I think a sacrifice is in mind. But so what? Okay, why, why does that matter? Well, verses 4 to 6 tell us why that matters. Verse 4 says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. There are a lot of kings in the ancient world that loved evil, like Herod, getting his buddies together to get hammered with him, and then making his stepdaughter come out and dance for them. God's not like that. He's good, and evil cannot dwell with him. Verse 5 says, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. The arrogant, people that love the praise of others, people who love position and power and fame or, or who want likes on Instagram or who get upset when they're not acknowledged or feel like they're ignored will not remain in God's presence. God calls that evil, and he says he hates evildoers. Now, other parts of the Bible do say that God loves sinners, and that is true in one way. It's also not what the psalm is talking about. God does hate sinners. Verse 6 says, You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. God hates people who lie. God hates those who hurt others. Bloodthirsty is an interesting word. Um, in, the, in the Bible, murder includes a lot more than normal murder. It includes anything that harms life, and even the desires that lead to it. And so the Westminster Catechism is really helpful here because it summarizes all of what Scripture means by murder. So, for example, it includes selfish anger, hatred, envy, wanting revenge, doing things that distract people from God, eating too much, drinking too much, working too much, unkind speech, argumentativeness, there's more. There's about a page more. But I wonder if you see yourself in any of this. I see me. Verse 6 also mentions deceit, and that does include outright lying, but it's also hiding the truth. It's using only enough of the truth to get what you want, to make sure you don't get in trouble. 
And God says that in this passage, that sort of person, he hates them. He loathes them. And so according to that, God should hate me. God should hate you too. So based on that, why on earth would we ask God to hear us because he's just? Well, verse 7 explains exactly how that works. Listen, but I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Listen, Christians are never to say, because I never get angry, because I never gossip, because I'm such a good person, I'll enter your kingdom, God. We are, we are never to say, because I'm nicer than some other people I could compare myself to, you'll listen to me. Christians are never to speak that way. Friends, damn thoughts like that to hell. Instead, we ought to say, God, I can only enter your presence through your steadfast love. God's steadfast love was given to David and to Israel in the form of a bull, like a real bull, a male cow. In the morning, they would lay their hands on the bull, and the bull would have its throat slit in their place. Listen, Israel would receive God's love because that bull had taken their place. That bull that God gave was killed and was burned up for the deceit and the angry thoughts and the gossip of anyone who just came to God to be cleaned up from their guilt. And we have something way better because we say, God, hear us because you sent Jesus Christ to be the substitute for my sins. Hear me because you crushed Jesus and we're pleased to do it, to declare everyone who trusts in him to be righteous and to adopt us as sons and daughters. God, hear us because at the right time, even though we treat you like trash, you sent your son to become a man and to stand condemned in my place and to rescue me from the punishment that I've earned. That's God's justice. And so, we are supposed to ask God to hear us because he's just. Listen, God does hate and will destroy every sinner. And at the same time, God loves and purifies the guilt from every sinner that trusts in Jesus. And so, we are to ask God, hear. Hear because you're just. And that is the first request that this psalm teaches us to pray. Ask God to hear. Now for the second request. Ask God to teach. Ask God to teach. This request is in verse 8. It says, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. God says to ask him to lead us in his righteousness, to, to take obstacles out of our way that might keep us from obeying his commands. And asking God to lead us in his righteousness just means help me obey your laws. That's it. Or may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or lead me not into temptation. Now, I need to ask God for this for a couple of reasons. One, I just forget what God commands. 
So consider Ephesians 5. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and shouting and speaking poorly of others be put away from you, along with all unkindness. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I forget these things. I'm guessing you do too. And, and even, even when I do remember, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and shouting and speaking poorly of others be put away from you, sometimes I still do those things. Why? Because unless God changes my heart, I can't do them. And you can't either. So he tells us here, ask him, ask him for help. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness, and he'll help you obey him. And so that's the second request. It's just teach me. Psalm 5 also teaches us why we're supposed to pray this. It basically says we're surrounded by lies. We need God to teach us because we're surrounded by lies. So verse 9 says, For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. We all are surrounded by lies, and lies lead to graves. So there are, for instance, lies that tell us to do things that God doesn't require. And so Colossians 2 says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why do you submit to regulations that come from human rules and ideas? God here says that such lies are straight from the mouth of the devil. They look religious, but they're satanic. We need to ask God to teach us, to lead us in his righteousness, because there's human ideology that would distract us from what he actually requires. And so we need to ask, God, lead me in your righteousness. Here's another kind of lie we all need rescue from. You're okay. Your desires are okay. Your identity is okay. What you want to fulfill you is who you are, and that's good. Let me get really specific for a second. That might sound like this. It's okay that you look at pornography. I mean, everyone does. Your sexual desires are okay. That's just who you are. Your anger is okay. It's probably righteous, because not all anger is sinful. Your deceit is okay. You told some of the truth. And these are all lies, and they all earn God's hatred. But this kind of lies all around us, isn't it? Love yourself, be yourself, which is kind of the opposite of repent and trust God to make you more like Jesus. But Psalm 5 teaches us to pray, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. And that's the second request, teach me. Teach me because I'm surrounded by lies. So first, we ask God to hear because he's just. Second, we ask God to teach because we're surrounded by lies. Third, here's the third request, ask God to judge. All right, ask God to judge. And this request is in verse 10. It says this, Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out. And that's the request. God has enemies, we're told to ask him to cast them out. Now, Psalm 4, right before this, instructs us to tell people that are rebelling against God 
that if they would just turn to him and come to him for forgiveness, he would graciously and lovingly give it. And 1 Timothy 2 tells us that we're supposed to pray that they, they would come to God and find forgiveness and joy and life and love from him. But we're also supposed to pray that God would execute justice on the earth. Well, who, who are the enemies of God? I keep on talking about the enemies of God. Who are they? Well, they include what 2 Thessalonians 1 uh, calls the, the persecutors of Christ's church. Uh, the Bible also would include in that the devil and his angels who try to get us to abandon Jesus. They spread lies in the world, whether those are religious lies like Islam or secular lies like moral relativism. And get this, we're also instructed to put to death the deeds of our own bodies, our own flesh. So listen, in, until Jesus comes back, your own soul's sinful inclinations are your enemy. And we're to pray together that God would cast out his enemies. And God tells us why to pray this too. It's in verse 10. Because they've rebelled against you. So we're not asking God to judge because we're hurt or because we're mad, because we think we're better than people. We ask God to judge because we love God and he's been sinned against. Look, everyone lives in God's world, eats God's food, enjoys God's stuff, enjoys everything in life from God, and the fact is, we want God's stuff and not him. The world wants that, the devil wants that, and if we're honest, there are parts of our souls that want that. So, we're to pray that God would cast those things out. And that's the third request. God, judge. Why? Because they've rebelled against you. So remember the first request. Ask God to hear. The second request. Ask God to teach. The third request. Ask God to judge. Now the fourth request. Ask God for the church's joy. Ask God for the church's joy. This is in verse 11. God teaches us to pray together. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. God's telling us here to ask him to cause everyone who knows him to be happy in knowing him in experiencing his grace and hearing his word and trusting that one day we are going to be with Jesus, hanging out with him. We're to pray that everyone who takes refuge in Jesus will be joyful in knowing God. We're to pray together for the joy of everyone who trusts in Jesus, people like Miriam. Verse 12 gives us the reason we should pray that. It says this, For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. In other words, we're to, we're to pray for joy from God because he actually gives it. He gives it to his people. He blesses and favors. He covers them with his love. And, and that means for God's people, only his love ever touches you. Any painful thing that you experience only comes through the filter of God's love and is only for your future joy in knowing him. 
you who know Jesus, listen to you. The, the, only, the only thing that God has for you is, is blessing and joy and love and care. And that's why we're to ask for the joy of God's people. It's because he actually gives it. And that's the fourth request. We're to ask God for the church's joy. Now, I'd like to ask the worship team to come up. Uh, because we're going to actually respond to Psalm 5 by doing what it instructs us to do, that is, by singing it. And so, as they come up, um, let me remind us what this, the psalm teaches us. It teaches us to pray four things together, right? First, it teaches us to ask God to hear. Second, it teaches us to ask God to teach. Third, we're to ask God to judge. And fourth, we're to ask God for joy. And God also gives us reasons for those requests that we're supposed to make of him. So first, we're, we're supposed to ask God to hear because he's just. We're supposed to ask God to teach because we're surrounded by lies. We're to ask God to judge because God's got enemies. And we're supposed to ask God for the church's joy because he really and truly gives it. And remember, the whole point of this is that we're praying together. So let's do that now, and then let's make sure we do this outside of this room too. So stand if you can, and let's glorify God together.